It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Magic, your daily podcast on the Orlando Magic, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And you are indeed Locked On Magic. Today is April 30th, 2020. My name is Phil Brosnan. I'm the expert and site editor over at OrlandoMagicDaily.com. You can follow us on Twitter at philiprr_omd. On today's episode of Locked On Magic, we're going to do the second half of our rewatch live stream of the Orlando Magic's Game 1 win over the Chicago Bulls in the 1995 NBA playoffs. So yes, we will finally get to the moment we've all been waiting for when Nick Anderson steals the ball from Michael Jordan. The first half in Part 1 of this podcast aired yesterday, so if you want to go back into the archives, you can go listen back to that. Plus, we have the live stream on YouTube. If you search for Locked On Live on YouTube, that has the first two hours of the live stream, as well as on Facebook Live. Again, search for Locked On Live on Facebook to see the, the full kind of broadcast if you want to use the use that as your kind of second screen experience when you re, if you choose to rewatch this game. I believe Fox Sports Florida will be re-airing it um, fairly soon. If not, you can find the game on YouTube. It is conveniently located within the Orlando Magic Daily Video Vault. Go to orlandomagicdaily.com. Click on the top bar that says Video Vault. If Video Vault is not there, click on More. It should be there. Go to, down to the 1995 NBA Playoffs. It should be labeled 1995 Playoffs. And find Game 1 of this game. Coming up on this episode is our conversation that starts roughly at about halftime. I'm sorry if it's tough to sync. We try to say the score at regular intervals so, so, that, so that you start kind of following along as we're watching the game, um, you know, we, we watched a re-air on Fox Sports Florida, so some of the some of the timing might be a little bit off if you're trying to rewatch uh, on YouTube or, or elsewhere if, if you have the game anywhere else. Um, but on today's episode, we get into a lot of interesting topics about the 1995 team. We talk about Brian Hill and his job as as the head coach of the Orlando Magic, both in 1995, as well as his second sit with the Magic with Dwight Howard. He's the only guy that's coached both Dwight Howard and Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, we also talk about well, Mike Daytoni did technically, but but that, that's uh, no Mike Daytoni. Yeah, Mike De- Mike Daytoni did too, I believe. So you know, maybe 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 there's more guys, but but that's neither here nor there. Um, we also talk about Nick Anderson and his ultimate legacy with the Orlando Magic, and whether we appreciate him properly for even how for, for even even about, even with how Magic fans appreciate him. And of course. At the very end, we relive the moment we've all been waiting for, and that is the national broadcast premiere of Jurassic Park. Um, But before we get into that, uh, a few housekeeping items, of course. The first is, if you want other great podcasts covering the NBA, search wherever you download podcasts for Locked On in the team you're looking for. Just like this podcast here covering Orlando Magic with excruciating detail, there's a podcast covering every single team in the NBA with the same level of care and detail that you can only find from the local experts who know their team best. Want the latest on the Chicago Bulls with everything going on with them, plus recaps of The Last Dance? Check out Locked On Bulls. 
Um, there's other great podcasts too. The NFL Draft just took place. You can check out Locked On Bucks for the latest from the Buccaneers. Locked On Dolphins, Locked On Jaguars, Locked On whoever. There's a podcast for almost every single team in the NBA as well as the NFL, MLB, NHL, and several college teams too. No matter what team you cheer for or you are interested in, there's a Locked On podcast for you. Just search wherever you download podcasts for Locked On and the team you're looking for, the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Before we get in to the replay of the second half of our live stream, uh, I, I, I want this to be preserved for history. I want this to be a, a podcast that people can go back to and, and have some evergreen quality, but uh, I am going to have to to hit the pause here and, and at least preview what I'm, what I'm planning to do uh, for the rest of the, or for later on this week. My plan uh, is, uh, obviously there was a little bit of news item that, that popped up, popped out. Um, Shams Charania uh, reporting that among the many considerations that the NBA is having for concluding their 2020 regular season um, is the thought of holding the, fi- the final games of the season as well as the playoffs at the Walt Disney World Resort. This is an idea that Keith Smith of Yahoo Sports floated out there um, he's a former Disney, Disney employee. He uh, in his day job, he uh, covers. He helps cover the Orlando Magic for for several for several outlets. Um, you know, he's been on this show before. He put the idea out there and kind of laid out how um, how it might work and, and why Disney is an interesting location to host the final games of the season, especially with with everything on lockdown and almost certainly the theme parks will be. Honestly, sports should come back before the theme parks come back. That 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 is my opinion. Um, and, and theme parks will be among the very last things that gets up and running. And I believe Disney's released a plan uh, on on how they want how they want to phase back into into operation once they are given the okay to do so by by the government. Um, but Disney is it is, and I agree with this, uniquely positioned to be able to host games. I want to talk about that a whole lot more because uh, while. It is an NBA-wide issue. It is certainly one that affects us here in Orlando. It is something that that we certainly think about a whole lot more. And you know, like like I said, I, when when this thing first happened, when this when everything started to shut down, and you know, Disney Disney does not shut down. The theme parks, Disney Universal, they do not shut down unless it is a an emergency. You know, hurricanes they shut down for a day, maybe two, and then they're back up and running fairly quickly afterward. What's happening over at Disney, what's happening over at Universal, what's happening at, at SeaWorld, they were, they were a little later than everyone else. Um, what's happening at the theme parks here in Orlando uh, is having a massive effect on our economy. In Orlando, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be it's gonna be a while to see if we recover, although I've heard, you know, certainly some, some tourism experts believe that, that people, you know, really look forward to their Orlando vacations, so Orlando vacations may bounce back quicker than the rest of the tourism industry. Um, but obviously, being able to host the NBA and whatever jobs that would create, uh, and, and however the league has to set that up um, is something you're saying. I want to talk about that a whole lot more. I want to get deeper into that. Uh, and that's what we're going to do probably on the next episode of Lockdown Magic, probably tomorrow uh, as, as we begin to really discuss the NBA's next steps and, and, and we begin to see some concrete movement uh, toward the resumption of the NBA season. But that's enough of that. You're here to hear the second half of our live stream of the Orlando Magic's Game 1 win over the Chicago Bulls. And I'm queuing the music up. We're going hit, hit to hit a couple ad breaks here, and we will dive right back in to our, uh, to our uh, uh, conversation. Just a reminder, though, before we do that, as it pops into my head, Game 3 of this series will air on Fox Sports Florida on Thursday, 
Game 5 and Game 6, the two clinching games of that series, will air Saturday. So Thursday at 8 o'clock, Game 3 of the Orlando Magic Series versus the Chicago Bulls in 1995 will air on Fox Sports Florida. And then I believe it is at 5.30 on Saturday, Game 5, game five will air, and 8 o'clock, Game 6 will air in its entirety. If, you ha- if you're you know, relatively young or if you were young when this series happened like I was, um, I do remember this series, but not in vivid detail. It is. It was fun to watch Game 1 again. It was actually the second time I've rewatched that game. Um, I don't really recall Game 3 at all. I mean, I, my parents made me go to bed early. If you have not watched this series, if you have not watched these games, if you, if you only know the 1995 team through its stories and its lore, I highly recommend watching these games in particular. I highly recommend watching these games on Fox Sports Florida. I want to thank Fox Sports Florida for giving us these Magic Classics, even the ones uh, from the expansion team. It's always fun to go back and watch these games. And I'm hoping, you know, this is the end of the schedule for the Magic Classics. I'm hoping that uh, more Magic Classics are released soon. I'd love to see some games from the 1995 series against the Indiana Pacers. I'd love to see us get into the Heart and Hustle era as well as the T-Mac era uh, in the next next wave of games. I imagine that you can schedule out the next two, three weeks uh, before the league really gets going. So now, without further ado, cue the music, let's hit the ad break, and let's dive into the second half of the Magic's game against the Chicago Bulls. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Um, first half, I think the I think the graphic that just came up showed Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen combined for 11 points on what three of 20 shooting something like that. Um, we're tied at 43 at the half, so the Bulls have to be feeling very very good about things um, being tied with with their two key players uh, playing that way. Um, the thing that I'm noticing that that I think is really interesting is the Magic are switching a lot. Um, they're, they're really using, it seems like they're really using their size to try and keep Jordan and Pippen on the perimeter, and that's creating some mismatches in the in the, in the the post for guys like Bill Wennington, for, for even B.J. Armstrong to get free a little bit, and that's really what's keeping Chicago in this game. Um, you know, we're, 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 we compared and contrasted the, the offensive styles a little bit, um, but defensively, it, it feels like, you know, there's a lot of walling, you know, walling the paint. Obviously, there's not as much spacing, so you can kind of congest the lane a little bit, but, you know, I'm, I'm watching this game again, and it really feels like the Magic are playing a pretty sophisticated defense where they're they're willing to switch guys. They've, they've got the size to do it. Uh, and, and they believe, you know, pretty much all their players, including Shaq, can guard the perimeter uh, at least for a little bit. Um, what do you guys... What, what do you, I mean, we're, we're at halftime here. You know, we haven't talked a ton about the game. Um, you know, I'll start with Aaron. Aaron, what's what's your takeaway from, from re-watching the first half of this game again? Um, when we first started this, it was pretty close to the first quarter. Kind of noticed um, a little magic run when Brian Shaw came in, which was kind of interesting because just when I was in this era watching basketball, I, I kind of resented when Brian Shaw would come in because obviously I wanted Penny to play 48. <laughs> but I always felt like the huge advantage of having Penny being a six 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 seven point guard was ability to play in the post like we talked about and, and pass over defenders and to the floor. But 
Kenny playing off the ball with Brian Shaw playing the point actually pushed the Magic into a run and, as Adam was saying, caused the Bulls to kind of mix and match and, and cause some interesting matchup things. And then, obviously, like, it looked like the Bulls were just throwing everything, the kitchen sink at Shaq, and ideally, like, you want to try to, to gather him before he goes up, but he's already had two or three, you know, uncontested dunks in the first half where, you know, I'm sure that's not making a veteran coach like Phil Jackson veteran all-time grade like like Jordan happy I mean I know Adam said he he did well on the line in this game but you still want to play the percentages and you're not going to let Shaq dunk on anybody you're not going to let yeah. him throw you know the ball like you know and put something on a poster you you want to put him on the line and, earn it. and he's just bouncing off people or people are bouncing off of him I guess and and the, the, the Bulls just don't have physically any athletically physically any answer for for Shaq Zach, uh, I know you joined us late. I don't know how much of this game you were able to watch, um, but what are, what are your thoughts on 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 how the Magic are playing and what you've seen from from on court action so far? Since we've kind of filled in a lot of the context here throughout throughout the course of the, this this podcast. Yeah, I jumped in pretty late in the uh, first half. I got home, um, but you know, watching how dominant Shaq was. I mean, they like you guys have all said they didn't have anybody who could guard him. And Shaq just got whatever he wanted. He was dunking on guys and just doing whatever. Um, it it kind of made me think, could the four of us combined guard Shaq? Uh, the answer is no. Shaq? How fast, how fast would he dunk on the four of us? 2.4 seconds. Um, now Shaq, and he doesn't show it off in this game, but Shaq had like... He could actually shoot bunny floaters or bunny hook shots from 15 feet out. Like, he had long range on those hook shots. So, he wasn't bulldozing you. He could easily just kind of just loft that ball over you, no problem. But, I mean, look, for this first half of this Magic game, the Magic offense, it's they're figuring out this bull, trying to figure out this bull defense. There's some nerves involved. The ball is kind of sticking in situations. There's some questionable shot selection, even in an era where you know, spacing is a problem. The magic offense just isn't quite clicking yet. And second half, I would, it's going to get a little bit better, but it, it really doesn't pick up until later on in the series. The magic are relying a lot on defense here. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, that, that's kind of an interesting point, Adam, you know, we, whenever we talk about this magic team, we tend to talk about the offense because Penny is such a great offensive talent. Shaq's obviously Shaq. You know, this team was pretty loaded defensively, too. I think they were top 10 in the league in def- and defensive efficiency as well. Um, you know, you got a horse, Grant, who's a great defender. Nick Anderson, very underrated defender. I mean, I, I, he's he's 6'6", he's big, so he, he, he can deal with Jordan in the post when Jordan tries to post up um, without necessarily doubling him. I mean, he is he is a tough, tough guy to, to cover, or a tough, tough, tough guy defensively to, to guard players. Um, Donald Royal's a great defend. Donald Royal's a great defender. I mean, famously, Anthony Bowie was the one who's told to defend Penny during his pre-draft workout. Um, the, the, this Magic team is, pre- and Shaq's obviously a, uh, taking up a lot of space in the paint too. This is a pretty good defensive team um, that, like I said, feels like they're switching a lot, which is much more modern than than I remember the first time I rewatched this game. They they do a lot of they do a lot of fun things. That's a nice pass. Ah, Shaq, I finish that. Yeah, without knowing it, they're they're more modern than you think, right? I mean, we talk about how this this '95 Magic team is one of the big, you know, revolutionaries when it comes to three point shooting. You have a dominant big man, and you have 
you know, three, maybe four, four would be, would have been nice back then, but we didn't quite have four uh, guys that could hit three pointers. But I mean, we're, two, we're was, two was a lot about, back then. Yeah, no, we're talking about a, a magic team that had really good two way players whether not necessarily three-point shooters but just really good two-way players you know you had Horace who was money from 15 from 18 feet and in. you had Nick who could hit it for he'd shoot threes but I mean Nick was big on taking a guy down in the post anyone that was smaller than him he was posting them up I mean the Magic had had size advantage but they also had guys who weren't liabilities on went under the court you know you don't have you, know, you have the Bulls that have, you know, Steve Kerr who can't really defend or, um, you know, they're relying on Bill Wennington, who even though he scores some points in this game, you don't want to rely too much on Bill Wennington for offense. The Magic are a very balanced team here at, at this point. And, again, without knowing it, they're, they're, everyone's able to play both ends of the court, which obviously – Nowadays in 2020, you have to definitely be able to do that. But in 1995, not necessarily. You know, you could have been uh, only defensive type of guy, and you could still get at least a dozen minutes a night. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 definitely interesting to me to see to see this team play again. And, and yes, obviously we're viewing it sort of from a 2020 lens, but. It feels like this team still hold still holds up in, in in that way, and still, you know, yeah. I feel like, yeah, the three point shooting would probably be an issue, but you could probably drop this team into today's NBA, and and even with Shaq, still play pretty pretty competitively. I, I feel like, um, and not that anyone in the league today would have anyone that could handle Shaq as he was just so efficient in the in the paint. Um, it's it's pretty pretty impressive. Um, but. Obviously, this game is still close. Orlando's not pulling away from Chicago. Chicago 47-45 here. Just under 10 minutes to play. Orlando really trying to get the ball into Shaq here to start the third quarter. Um, I don't Donald think he... Royal just scored for Chicago. <laughs> um, yeah, that's... I already, I already talked about how this is probably Shaq's best ma- haircut as a Magic player, but can we talk about Will Purdue's face mask? How oh, big yeah. is the nose guard portion of that mask? I've never seen a nose portion of a mask that yeah it doesn't for my life it doesn't cover his nose at all like if he if someone smacks him in the head he's gonna get gonna break that nose again like look how far out it's sticking out from just compared to his jaw it's got to be like half a foot sticking out look at that thing it's pointy yeah there's pat williams in his in his old spot in the tunnel tunnel uh uh behind the opponent opposing bench uh, at, at the old orlando arena um uh, oh that's a good shirt. gm at the magic at the time, of course, he's retired. I don't know who he's, who's standing next to him at that point. I don't know who that was behind <laughs> seems him. Weird. Seems like a very weird shot um, to take. To take. Um, uh, they, they've not advertised the Jurassic Park, uh, the, the the national broadcast of Jurassic Park yet, and I, I'm frankly a little disappointed um, uh, by that because uh, I need to know that Jurassic Park's coming up next. Um, um, uh, it comes I'll, in the fourth quarter, I think. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, I mean, if we don't get the commercials. We don't. We don't get to see the '95 yeah. commercials here. But you see plenty of Jurassic Park commercials if you uh, look it up on your uh, on, on your yeah uh, on, on the on the inter, on the interwebs. Um, yeah, uh, we're, we're we're trying to focus a little bit more on the game here in the second half since we've since we've talked so much about the team in whole. So if we we go a little quiet while we watch the game, uh, excuse us excuse us there. 
for a moment. Um, you know, I hope you're enjoying the game. You can, of course, if you're watching from home in, in Central Florida, at least you can find it on Fox Sports Florida. We're in the middle of the third quarter right now. Um, if you are watching, if you're not in Orlando watching this or, or playing this back somehow, um, you can find the game on YouTube. Uh, I do have a link to it uh, from YouTube on, in the Orlando Magic Daily Video Vault. Um, just go to orlandomagicdaily.com, go to the top, click on Video Vault, go to the 1995 playoffs, uh, game one of this series. Uh, the game is in there almost in full. The, the NBC broadcast joins it in progress about midway through the first quarter. You can watch the entire game. We are now at 48-47 Magic with 8.35 to play in the third quarter. The game's going to remain pretty tight the rest of the way. Um, you know, he's on the screen now. Um, not, not Alex Martin standing behind him, uh, sitting behind him, but um, Brian Hill. Um, oh, that's a bad tie to go with that suit. I'm not a fan of that tie. <laughs> um, I'm curious, uh, you know, we talk about magic coaching history. Um, I think we'd all agree Stan Van Gundy is the best coach in magic history. Uh, no, no complaints yep. there. Uh, I, I'm curious, and I'll start with you, Zach. Where do you, I mean, what, where, 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 how do you think history remembers Brian Hill? Uh, and the job that he did coaching this team. I, mean, I think there's, it feels like there's some statement every year, you know, from somebody that, that Brian Hill didn't really know what he was doing. He was maybe in a little over his head. Um, you know, maybe that's how history kind of remembers him. But, you know, he still did a very impressive job, I think, building this team and getting them to play at this level. I mean, you know, I think Brian, I think the way Brian Hill actually wants to play is how he played in Dwight's rookie year or in Dwight in those first years with Dwight, um, which, you know, was not that great, I would say. Um, but, you know, ultimately, what, what, what's Brian Hill's legacy with the Magic? I think a lot of people will probably, okay. It, it probably depends on the fan, like the fan that you're talking to, right? Like if, if it's you or Adam or somebody who's, you know, a real historian with the, the franchise and has been a fan forever, they're going to look back and think about his first stint. But you're going to get those fans that just think about, oh, well, he – was the coach in Dwight's first couple of years and they were very mediocre. And, you know, then he didn't really get as much out of that team as Sam Van Gundy was able to, you know, come in and do in his first year. So, but I, I think that Brian Hill's easily probably the second best coach that this franchise had. May I mean, it's probably between what, him and Doc? So, I, I honestly... That's second. Matt Gukas up there? Like, I would, where, so honestly, honestly, I might, I mean, I might put Hill behind Doc. Um, and, and honestly, Doc, I think. Doc did a lot with a lot Very less. little. Yeah. I, I think, and honestly, you know, maybe this is recency bias and, and, and we have to see how it plays out. I think Steve Clifford's knocking on the door with, with the door. I mean, that, that second stint that Brian Hill had in Orlando was was really rough. Um, the team played, I think, at the slowest pace in the league. They didn't take any three-pointers. Like, honestly, you couldn't find, to me, teams that were more opposite than how he handled young Shaq from how he handled young Dwight. Um, you know, the, this this team, honestly, this team, it felt like they were destined to be this good um, because they just had so much talent. And, you know, I, you know, I don't, you know, maybe I haven't studied the coaching decisions that Brian Hill made close enough. And, and I don't mean to kind of dance on his, dance on his grave at all. I mean, obviously he got the team there and, and it's tough to get, I mean, we, we've all covered a team through the season. It is tough to get a team through the season, no matter how good or bad they are. It is tough to, to get, to get guys through an 82 game schedule and any coach that can do it successfully deserves some credit for doing it. 
Um, you know, Hill obviously unlocked a lot out of this team, um, but it, it did seem like in the key series, he he got out coaching. I, I, I don't feel like he ever beat a team because of their coaching. Like, I think Stan Van Gundy beat the Cavs because he was a better coach than than, than what the Cavs had. Um, I, I don't know if we can say that about Brian Hill with, with his deep run. Um, Aaron, Aaron, I'm curious what, what you think about Brian Hill and, and his legacy with the team. Um, I mean, he's right there with Doc for me. I mean, obviously Doc got a lot out of the, the Harden Hustle team, but, you know, I'd probably give it to Brian Hill just because, you know, you look at the resume, you know, he coached a team that beat Phil Jackson and Michael Jordan, you know, in a series. That's true. And, you know, they would go on to win you know, multiple championships after this, the Bulls. But at this point, you know, I mean, he always has that on his resume. And one of the things, one of the most detrimental things a coach can do is micromanage. And, you know, he let his players play. He also maintains consistency and a little bit of discipline. And, I mean, obviously the organization's comfortable with him because, you know, in turmoil, they went back to him a second time to bring some stability in a similar situation. So, look, these guys we already talked about on this podcast, they're young. They're probably a year or two ahead of schedule as far as they achieve this year. And a lot of that falls on coaching. I think he stayed out of the way and let Shaq and Penny do their thing. This one team in the NBA, offensive rating. And, you know, a lot of that I do credit to Brian Hill. I think Sam Bundy's a little bit stronger X's and O's. And uh, I think he's a little bit um, – I mean, I, I rank him first in Magic history as a coach, but I would probably put Brian Hill. So. Well, I think historically – I think by default, you almost have to put Brian Hill second just because of what he was able to accomplish, as Aaron said. I mean, it gets very interesting because Matty Gukas has to deal with some very bad teams the first the first couple of years. And then he gets Shaq the rookie season. They go 41 and 41. They just barely miss the playoffs. And then Matty loses his job. Brian Hill becomes the head coach. He's got, you know, he gets, he gets uh, you know, a second season – uh, Shaquille O'Neal of the league. He gets a rookie Penny Hardaway. Brian Hill has this team, you know, kind of almost laid out in front of him for, you know, and then they get Horace Grant the year after that, that, that first Brian Hill season. But I mean, he's got the players for sure. And Brian Hill was an assistant coach on Maddie Goofy's staff. So who knows how much of Maddie's coaching, what, um, what Brian Hill was doing anyway, but I mean, Brian Hill has a pretty good coaching staff, too. I mean, you got guys like Richie Adubato, you got Tom Sterner, you got half player, half coach Tree Rollins on the staff. I mean, a head coach is, is sometimes only as good as their assistants as well, and the Magic were doing pretty good there. Um, I am one of the biggest, criti- you, know, crit- you, know, you know, most critical people when it comes to Brian Hill's second stint with the Magic, but you do have to kind of look at it where Brian Hill comes in that 05, 06 season. You know, rookie seasons for Dwight and Jameer 0405. They have to deal with both Johnny Davis and Chris Gent, which uh, isn't quite kind for those guys at all. Um, so that first season with Brian Hill actually wasn't too bad because, one, there's no experimenting with putting Dwight Howard at power forward. It's like, Dwight, you're a center. You're going to be a center. You're, you're a man-child. You're going to be a center, okay? They, they find someone to take Steve Francis. <laughs> 
look, man, I love I love the franchise. TV franchise, that 0405 season and the 0405 Magic are big what if because when it before they shipped off Catino Mobley, that was a very good Magic team. They would have made the playoffs for sure. Um, but after Catino Mobley got traded for Doug Christie, it all went to hell and that's look, that's on John Weisbrod. That's, you know, great T Mac would T Mac would agree with you there. That's when you that's what happens when you have a hockey guy in charge of the basketball team. You get stuff like that happening where it's like, Oh, I have this great three point shooter, but you know what? I want more of a defensive enforcer type. Give me Doug Christie. So yeah. Um, yeah. And 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 his bones first. But um look, uh, Brian Hill I mean, he's known for coming up with some really good side out of bounds plays. I'll say that. You got Dwight Dunn. <laughs> He got Grant, Grant Hill in his one and only healthy Magic season with that side out of bounds layup against the Blazers in Portland. Um, I mean, that's the other thing is Hill is still saddled with that Grant Hill contract. So, I mean, the Magic as a whole, are, are there's not much you can do to improve that roster. Yeah, you have Dwight, you know, by, by the end of it, Dwight's in his you know, third season, towards the end of his third season. And so you know, a lot of what Brian Hill did, can be viewed as stubborn. There was a lot of uh, unimagination by that point with what what to do with the uh, with the rotations. Um, people were mad that JJ Redick was buried on the bench for so long. Um, you know, he didn't treat rookies kindly, which neither did Stan Van Gundy. That's that's yeah. the, you know, but Stan made it work because people viewed Stan and what he was doing with our three point shooting as revolutionary. And when you when you're viewed so positively like that. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that you might do that when you're so po- positively viewed, that, that gets ignored. Whereas with Brian Hill, we were all very critical of him by the end, you know, or at least midway through his stint. So um, Brian Hill still for me is the second best coach in Magic history, um, just because of what he was able to do with the 95, 96 games. Um, can you question... You know, I mean, he gets out coached by Rudy Tomjanovich. It's, there's no debate on that. He does. But can you question some minute decisions when you get into deep in the playoffs, both Eastern Conference Finals in 96 and NBA Finals in 95? Yeah, but you still got to get there. And he got them there. Um, the Magic as a whole, historically, have a history of coaches getting teams to overachieve. Um, I can think of Chuck Daly with the 97-98 injury rate Magic, making it to 500. Um, I can think of what Richie Adubato did as interim head coach when Brian Hill got fired with the Magic in the 97 playoffs. You have Doc Rivers with the Hard and Hustle Magic in 99-2000. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a history of, of Magic coaches that were able to get a lot out of a little, be it because of lack of talent or a lot of injury. And that was a long rant, but yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, I mean, we talk about this a lot when you're when you're a small market like the Magic and your margin for error is very small. Very small. Um, you've got to be able to find guys and find players that that overachieve. Um, I, I think to be successful. I mean, let's be real. Um, and I think this is and this is not just unique to this day and age. I think this is throughout the course of NBA history. Stars determine everything. Stars want to be in bigger markets. They want to be with the prestige teams. It, 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 this isn't just a today day and age thing. This is all time. Will Chamberlain forced his way from Philadelphia to to, to uh, force his way when the, when the Warriors are moving to San Francisco, he forced his way to Philadelphia, then forced his way to Los Angeles. Um, you know, you've, you've got uh, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Lou Alcindor, 
forced his way from Milwaukee to Los Angeles. It is a long, long, long history of hey, big markets. Kareem got that ring for them. He did so. get the ring for the Bucks. That's true. And and that's, who knows, he might get another one. You get the ring, you're you're much you're forgiven a lot more. Uh, that's probably why Kawhi didn't get booed. But again, like I mean. It, when you're a small market, your margin for error is small, and so you got to find advantages wherever you can. I mean, that's what the Spurs have done so well is they've they found advantages where they can. And, but honestly, the whole Spurs experiment could have blown up if Tim Duncan comes to Orlando in 2000. Um, you know, it's it's it, you're always kind of on the precipice of disasters. Honestly, this team kind of was. Um, you know, who they, they they probably did not understand that they were about to they were about to fall apart a year, you know, almost a year later. I mean, you know, a year, almost a year from this game being played, they are playing the last games without Shaquille O'Neal. Nobody saw that coming at this point. And again, you know, maybe the NBA rules, you know, loophole in the NBA rules kind of created that situation where the Magic were, you know, maybe in a little bit of a different situation than a typical team might have been with, with the conditions that they had. So, conversely, since we were talking about you know, where Brian Hill ranks, you know, all time for magic coaches. Who's the worst magic coach of all time? Uh, it is between uh, Johnny Davis and Jacques Vaughn for me. I think it's got to be Jacques. John, like Johnny, Johnny at least got something out of those teams. He was put in an impossible situation. And, you know, Jacques, Jacques had the whole, Jacques, when the magic hired Jacques Vaughn, he was there to set the table for the next five years. And instead of setting the table, he, you know, was like the teenager who didn't do his chores. It was time to eat and there was nothing, there's no plates, there's no silverware. There was nothing on the table. And, and that, I mean, the Magic are frankly still digging themselves out of that hole a little bit, although they've, they've started to peek over the, over the crest of the hill a little bit uh, at this Let point. Yeah, let, let me put it this way: I'm very, I'm, I, I'm quite glad that Jacques Vaughn is right now the interim head coach of the Brooklyn <laughs> instead of Kenny Atkinson. Because I mean, we'll, we'll if, see if we get some actual uh, NBA basketball back this season, and if you get a few regular season games out of it, I'm looking forward to the Magic claiming the seventh season. Uh, I mean, I, I would put it this way too: there's a reason Jacques Vaughn is not being considered for the full time job at this point. I thought he was. Is he? Oh, I don't know. I, 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 would. Uh, I don't think he is. No, not with. That was some of the names are considered. I think Mark Stein had a list the other day that included Jacques Vaughn as one of the potential candidates. So, somebody, one of the big national, bigger national reporters had. Um, had a list I, that I, saw. I, I have zero doubts about that, but just because you're on the list doesn't mean you're. Sure. Sure. You don't, you don't want. You don't want to cut the legs off your interim head coach before he even coaches a game. You want to give him a little bit of hope. Let's, let's just leave it at that. Uh, Aaron, uh, you care to weigh in on, on worst coach in Magic history? Um, I mean, you guys, you know, you brought up all the, the suspects. I would maybe, just as an outside-of-the-box suggestion, um, not because he was a horrible X and O's or, or basketball guy, Scott Skiles probably yeah. for me up there um, just because he was such a curmudgeon and just so difficult. You know, he had, you know, on his roster the beginnings. I mean, they're very, very, very young, but the beginnings of an Oladipo, Harkless, Harris, you know, um, Vucevic, Fournier. I mean, he had pieces there, and rather than accept who he was as a coach at that point on a rebuilding team and just kind of work with these, you know, he was just saying, you know, get this person out, get that person out, and kind of 
you know, who knows what happened behind the scenes with management and with the styles, but obviously there was some angst there because he's gone shortly after, you know, that season that um, everything is blown up. So, you know, just for maybe the culture and what happened to the team, that, you know, set back the roster a couple of years. I would say Skiles probably didn't do the magic any favors. They started the year really, really well through December, and then that year just it all came collapsing down. And that was kind of that theme with those teams was they would play well for, you know, a stretch beat the first half or the, the second half of the year. And then the other half, they would just be so bad that it wouldn't matter that they played better. The London trip basically broke that Scott Scouts team. And they were, they were already kind of in trouble before it, but the London trip broke that Scott Scouts team. So there, there's something else that went on with that team that we, that we're never going to really know with, with them, you know, what, until there's like a tell-all book, either from Rob Hennigan or Scott Skiles, like we're, we're who's, not gonna... who's who's writing that book? I, I mean, Adam, are you and I gonna sit down and write that book? <laughs> uh, who's paying for that book? Who's I don't paying want to for that Rob book? Hennigan one more penny than he already made. Okay, then it's gonna be like a like a like a 500 word interview then probably from somebody. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave it. It'll be that. when when Victor when Victor Oladipo's career ends and and someone 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 will add, someone will sneak that question in. It's like uh, leaving Orlando. Like what happened there? He's like, you don't want to know. Wasn't he feathery, that's for sure. And it ties with uh, Markel Fultz as well. But I think in, in a couple of weeks, Showtime's coming out with this documentary about these uh, D.C. basketball players. So I think Oladipo and Fultz are both going to be in that. But um, So this Magic game we're watching right now, it's kind of late in the third, and it's literally a seesaw battle. Like Nick's hitting threes. Uh, Will Produce being very productive. Michael's kind of hitting a few jumpers here. Magic are up two with a few minutes left here in the third. I mean, this is literally a close game the whole way. It's it, it gets a little bit ugly sometimes with the offense, but just because there's just so much pushing around going on here. But um, I mean, it's it's high high tension the whole way. Yeah, I mean, the the, the thing you know, you mentioned that Will Purdue had a really big game, and you know, it feels like the Magic strategy is kind of switch on everything to keep Jordan and Pippen on the perimeter. And it's, it's leaving the paint wide open. Like Purdue is just kind of hovering around the basket, cleaning up every miss that, that, that Jordan and Pippen are, are putting up right now. Uh, when the Magic are on their side of the floor, they're dumping the ball into Shaq and the Bulls just immediately double team. And they're, they're really daring Orlando to shoot them out of it or, or, or try interior passes. And, you know, Chicago... You know, we talked about Orlando having length. Chicago has some pretty good length, too, because they, they're playing Kukoc at the four. Um, they got Jordan, obviously. They got Pippen, who's one of the best defenders. You know, as long as you're not turning the ball over, you're, you're, you're in good shape, you know, kind of kind of keeping them out, out in transition, and you can kind of try and muck the lane up a little bit. And so it feels like each, you know, this is, this is a game one. Game ones of series are very much about feeling each other out. You know, they're tr- they're trying some things, and it feels like both teams are kind of executing their initial strategy to some success, honestly, on both ends. They're both they're both kind of getting exactly what they want out of it. I have a trivia question for you guys. Um, so which Magic player uh, leads the team in free throw percentage for this series? Highest free throw percentage in this series for the Magic? It's an interesting answer. Aaron, you want to get the first crack at it? I want guesses from all you guys. It, it's 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 not because, because it's of not what obvious. happened because of what happens later on in the playoffs. I'm going to guess maybe Nick Anderson. I'll let the other two guys uh, guess here. Phil, you can you can take this one. I, I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna I was gonna take the one dollar answer and go Brooks Thompson. 
Um, but I, I somehow don't think, I don't think that's correct. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to guess Horace. Nice block. Uh, Zach, you want to, you want to throw one in? Yeah. Well, Phil had to go and take my my guess of Horace. I I offered you to go first. You're allowed to do it as well. It's okay. Yeah. But I I don't want to, I don't want to be that guy. So, um, I'm going to take tree Rollins because forever King tree. So Tree actually does not attempt a free throw in this in this series. <laughs> nor nor ever. Thompson, Brooks Thompson does not play a second in this series. Um, it's it's actually Anthony Bowie at eighty-five percent. Uh. But however, second is Nick Anderson. So out of the 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 guys that play the most minutes, Nick Anderson has averages seventy-seven point three percent from the free throw line, and that's actually the second best free throw percentage in this series. Is that, a, is that is that is that is that just a preview of Nick Anderson's famous bang the court after after during the Pacers series there when he when he does the fist pump and kind of leans over? A little bit. It's also was that Ron Harper on the bench already for the Bulls and they're not using him. So Ron Harper does not get used this whole series. Ron Harper only gets three minutes in this game, and I have no idea why. And for the whole series, he averages literally a couple minutes a game. Like his. The most minutes he plays come in like blowouts. It's I don't know why Ron Harper doesn't play in this series. That's yeah, that 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 feels very weird to me. Scottie Pippen looks very good in that magic towel. I'm just gonna gonna throw that out there. Um since we're talking about Nick Anderson a little bit, um obviously Apex Mountain for Nick Anderson in this game. Um something that 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 I've been thinking about a lot as I've been watching some of these old games is I think we all forget about how good Nick Anderson was. Um, you know, in this magic moment, you know, he has that line where it's either him or Dennis Scott has that line where Shaq arrives and, and they say, you know, they, they, that Nick Anderson, Dennis Scott looked at each other and said, um, I think he's the guy now. I think we're going to hitch our wagon to him. But like Nick Anderson, first player in NBA history, scored 50 points off the bench, you know, 41 in, in Shaq's debut game, has a big moment in this game. You know, obviously a very, very good player. I think he averaged, what, 19 points per game in the 93 season in Shaq's rookie year. You know, obviously the free throws are what people talk about nationally. Orlando Magic fans talk about him sentimentally as just the, the first player, first player drafted by the team. Is Nick Anderson actually kind of underrated as a player uh, overall? You know, he was legitimately a very good player in the NBA for a very long oh, time. It's it's not kind of. He he is underrated. He averaged nineteen point nine points per game twice, both in ninety one, ninety two, and then as you said, the lockout season. Oh no, not the lockout year. He did it twice. Nineteen point nine points per game did Nick average, uh, average for two of those seasons, and I, I'm still surprised that Nick never got in any of those mid ninety seasons. He didn't get like an all NBA defensive team. He didn't get one, and I thought he should have gotten one because Nick was was the, the go to scorer for the Magic back when obviously we're, we weren't great. But I mean, the man could score. He could post you up. He was then able, once we started bringing in Shaq and Penny and Horace, Nick was able to develop a three-point shot. He was able to become more of a defensive anchor. He had no issues being, instead of you know a top-two scoring option, becoming a third or fourth scoring option. Nick was just a one of a, is just a rare guy nowadays when you look at how, how players were. I mean, you look at the last dance and what 
MJ went from averaging like 35 points per game to, hey, you can, can you only average like 25 and make the rest of your team better? And obviously I'm not comparing Nick offensively or in any way to Michael Jordan, but it's kind of that mentality of you can take a few points off here for the team. It's the same thing with like Isaiah Thomas and those Pistons teams. Isaiah Thomas could have easily averaged five, six points per game more than he did probably in his prime, but he didn't because he, want, he needed to get his team involved. We are officially at the end of the third quarter of the game. I hope you're enjoying this conversation. We'll get back to talking about Nick Anderson and whether he's actually quietly underrated in Orlando Magic history. I, I think this is honestly one of the more fascinating things that we discussed uh, during this this this, uh, this uh, game and, 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 and how we kind of view Nick Anderson. I mean, I think we all come to a lot of the same conclusions and probably got... Uh, where we were anyway, but when we talk really about what who Nick Anderson was as a player, not just beyond the sentimentality. But I know it's the third quarter. You know, there's there's a timeout. You know, you, you're 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 your excuse to to go up and, and go to the bathroom. The concourses are packed. It's the Orlando Arena. It's 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 not a good situation getting around. But if you don't want to get up to go to, the, to to go get your food, to go get your concessions or, or whatever it is, you can of course just have it ordered in. In fact, everyone's encouraged to do that at this point because of, uh, of, of the circumstances, of the prevailing circumstances, to, to use the, the WWE parlance. Um, if you're like me, you're always thinking about your next meal. You're always thinking about, okay, what am I going to have for lunch? What am I going to have for dinner? Well, Postmates takes care of all of those issues. Well, not all of them. You still have to pick where you're going to have lunch. You're still going to have to pick what you want to eat. But Postmates gives you all the options to get the food that you want delivered directly to you. Postmates delivers everything from every restaurant I could think of right to my door. But it's not just delivering burgers and sushi. They actually make my life easier with grocery delivery and whatever I could think of delivery to, from convenience stores to clothing stores to you name it. So no more trips to the store, no more late night fast food runs. I don't even have to worry about where to grab lunch anymore. Just download Postmates on iOS or Android, find your favorites, and get anything you want delivered within the hour. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use code LOCKEDONNBA. That's code LOCKEDONNBA for $100 free delivery credit with no minimum purchase for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need... Anytime you need it, Postmate. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Um, uh, before, before, sorry, Aaron. Before you get going, uh, we're at the end of the third quarter now. The Magic lead the Bulls sixty-nine to sixty-five. We're talking about nice. Nick Anderson and whether he is, frankly, a little underrated now in, in the eyes of history. Um, Aaron, go go ahead. What what, what do you think? Magic. Uh, going to the fourth. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, Nick is just 
he's so strong and tough. I mean, he's just like um, very symbolic of just like a Chicago, you know, guard. And, and I, I think in this series, like you said, this is kind of the highlight of his, his, his career. And, and, you know, he took, I think a lot of extra juice and extra pride and, and, and facing the bulls and facing, um, you know, Michael Jordan, but, but, you know, he's just so strong, you know, lower half. Um, he was able to, to, to guard Michael without a lot of help, you know, on an Island at times in the series. And, you know, like Adam was saying, it's, it's kind of unprecedented to be the star of the team. And then, you know, when Shaq and Penny and even Horace show up both from that number one chair to three or four without any kind of boo or gripe. And I mean, he was just the team player, floor spacer, two-way player um maybe more so than dennis scott i look at nick anderson and, and he's really you want to talk about players that could play in 2019 you know at this point he's developed an outside shot he can defend you know he can score um you know that kind of, of value on the wing is what every team's looking for um size strength you know he plays in the post probably more than obviously players do today but um, I guess, uh, long story short, very underrated player. Um, you know, globally, you hear the, the name Nick Anderson, you think about free throws and missed free throws. But, you know, his career was so much more than that. Um, played with a lot of emotion. It was very streaky, obviously. Could get hot and score 50 and could miss four or five free throws. I mean, very streaky. But, um, you know, you, you can't talk poorly on Magic without, without talking about Nick Anderson. I mean, and sorry, I'll jump in, but uh, for, I mean, even if you look at the 97-98 season when the Magic are just decimated by injury, Penny's out the majority of that season. Like, we're depend the Chuck Daly's depending on guys like Derek Harper to pick up the offensive slack. And Nick's, for a long stretch in that 97-98 in that season, is putting up consistently over 30 points per game, a few of those games. And I mean, again, Nick Nick could turn it on offensively. He just decided, again, for the better of the team, he's like, look, man, you, you guys get the points. I'll be the support guy, and we'll leave it at that. But, I mean, Nick for, is forever going to be supremely underrated in my book in Magic history. And it's great that he's a Magic ambassador, and it's great you see him on the, on the Magic uh, telecast, Fox Sports Florida. But, I mean, the man was a heck of a basketball player. And he's a Chicago kid. He's playing – Michael Jordan, I mean, he, he, he grew up, well, not grew up, he, he basically through high school into college and at the start, you know, at the start of his magic career as a rookie, 89, 90, you know, he's dealing with the guy that was idolized in his hometown. And so this is a, this is a big time series, not just for Horace Grant, but for Nick Anderson. I, Nick I think, I think, I think Nick tells Dante, told Dante online on, on today that, he is still not welcomed in Chicago because of this series. Like the people still give him a hard time about this series in particular in Chicago. Um, Zach, uh, what, what's your takeaway on, on Nick Anderson, the player? I mean, you know, he, he has a very good game in this game. It's not just the steal. He plays very Star Wars well. intro music. <laughs> yeah. We need to bring that back. Um, no, I think that, you know, especially when you look at, at it today, there's not going to be many guys that go that are willing to go from being, you know, the guy who's, you know, your main scorer to, okay, I'll take like a second or third role and, and be okay with it. You know, I, I think that that speaks a lot for what Nick Anderson wanted for the team 
not just the short term, but the long term also, because he understood that, hey, this is Shaq and Penny's team now. Like, I need to take this back seat. I can still be that veteran leader and, and still, you know, contribute in important ways. And that's how he developed the game, became such a good defender. And then still was able to make the impact that he did, um, as you guys have all stated, you know, Adam touching on it, how much he was scoring when Penny was out uh, a couple seasons from now. So, you know, the thing that I wonder now, you know, whenever you talk about magic players, it always comes back to like the top magic players in franchise history always comes back to Shaq, Dwight, Penny, and T-Mac. Nick, we all agree that Nick Anderson is, is probably fifth there. Yes. Yes. I, I think, I think, I think so. I mean, is there anybody else that you can make a, a, a true, like, compelling argument for? Like, are you going to put a Jameer Nelson or a Hito Turkoglu up there? I think Jam. I think Jameer is the closest. Jameer for me. Aaron? That's the case. I think Hito's a little closer. For I mean, Jameer's got a little bit more longevity, but I think for me, for what Hito did, clutch shooting wise. He should have been. I mean, he, he won Most Improved Player, but he should have been an All Star as well in seven oh eight. Would Daryl would Daryl get into that conversation? Because yes, Daryl. I mean, Daryl's averages are kind of skewed because early on in his career he didn't play very much, but he he had a year where he was averaging fifteen sixteen points per game. You know, he won the awards. He's a sentimental favorite as well. You know, I I, I, I it's interesting that you mentioned that because I did Magic Madness on Twitter just as a kind of you know for fun. You know, just to pass the time here during the hiatus, you know, make, make up for not having the NCAA tournament. And Jameer Nelson beat Nick Anderson. And, and I, the question I gave was who you got. It wasn't anything else. And I think some of that was recency bias, um, for sure. I think a lot of that's recency bias. I think a lot, lot of it's recency bias. Right. I had Nick Anderson as, as, as the top seed in the expansion era, expansion era rebuild region. Um, I, think, I, I think you can make a case. I mean, I think Nick Anderson's the answer. But I think that second tier... After the big four of who the best player in Magic history is, that second tier of Nick Anderson, Daryl Armstrong, Jameer Nelson, Hito Turkoglu, Richard Lewis, you know, I think that second tier is a really interesting group that, you know, you know, Dennis Scott's probably in that group too. Horace Grant's probably in that group. Um, it, that second Richard. tier, I think, is really, really interesting. You know, Aaron, Aaron, where do you, where do you, where do you stand on on Nick Anderson's place among the Magic greats? Yeah, I mean, he's solidly five for me. I don't think close um, because of longevity. I mean, he's the franchise's first draft pick, and he was kind of, you know, the, the young, talented, promising player pre Shaq and Penny. And then, like we've already mentioned, you know, not only does he play well, you know, post. Shaq, you know, he has this moment for me that's huge in franchise history when Shaq returns to Orlando for the first time. It was an NBA and NBC, you know, matinee game, and Nick Anderson hits that shot. And, you know, that's a huge moment. I mean, you could just see this guy. I know he, he Sacramento late in his career, but this is a career Orlando guy who's now working, you know, for the franchise even post-basketball. He really embraced what the community and what the team's about. And he could play. So, I mean, you know, you've got the best in both worlds. You've got an organizational guy. You've got a, a player. And he could have, after those missed free throws, you know, be traded and asked to be moved. But but he stuck around because, you know, uh, of, of, you know, the organization. And I 
that does matter and count for something. So I know there, you know, um, had his movements and so did so did Turk. But I think for longevity in this case, it does matter. Um, for for me, Nick is is right there, just outside of obviously those amazing franchise players and all stars. He's the next guy at number five. Yeah, I got to come up with a shameless plug here, but for I was, was, uh, was going to give you permission to do so. <laughs> for our Penny and Pops podcast, the, uh, we just did a uh, magical movies uh, on that Magic Lakers game from ninety seven to ninety eight, and uh, Nick Anderson whips out the Merton Hakes duck walk twice <laughs> in that game, and it's I uh, on it's an NBA and NBC game. Isaiah Thomas and Bob Costas are on the call. It's a masterful game to watch and just amazing commentary. And again, it's Nick Anderson. He's he's still getting get, getting hated on over, almost three years later for missing uh, those critical free throws in '95. He's still dealing with the psychological issues, which I'm obviously psychology and psychiatry have come, have come a long way uh, since '95. Uh, you know, now in 2020, but. Um, you know, it, it would have been interesting to see uh, w- with the methods that we have now today how the rest of his career after the 95 finals would have gone had he had those methods then. Yeah, I mean, I, I, undoubtedly that that moment uh, with with the free throws changed his career um, in, in, in a lot of ways. Not just how he's perceived nationally, but, you know, he I mean, I, I, I think it's a testament to the character of Nick Anderson that that you know he has really come to terms with it. He's very open about it. Um, when the when the when the Eastern Conference Finals were in Orlando in 2009, Kenny Smith and him joked about it on TNT. They they did a whole TNT segment where Smith went to the spot where he hit the game tying shot that that forced overtime in Game One that you know Nick Anderson left the door open for. And Anderson was very good natured about it. He obviously talked a lot about it in this magic moment. Which if you haven't seen this, honestly, watching this game again. And talking with you guys, I want to go back and watch this magic moment again. Um, you know, I think there's so much uh, in in that in that documentary and in that story that you know that really draws out what made this team special and 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 what this moment in time was like, both in the NBA. I mean, I think I think what's really interesting is as I'm watching the Last Dance, you know, how all these different documentaries that ESPN's already put out in the Thirty for Thirty universe intersect with the Last Dance, whether it's this magic moment, whether it's the bad boys, whether it's even winning time, intersect with the last dance in, in very significant ways. And, you know, you can watch all of them and, and get a real good piece and and part of NBA history um, together. Um, you know, just to update where you are, where we're at in the game, it's 76-72 magic with about nine minutes to play in the fourth quarter. Orlando and Chicago in a big battle. The benches are kind of in right now. We got Tree Rollins getting his last stint as Brian Hill tries to steal some minutes for Shaq on the bench. Shaq's actually about to check in. Michael Jordan's on the bench as Phil Jackson tries to steal some rest. I mean, these are in a playoff game, these are big minutes. These are these are the minutes that decide whether a game becomes a blowout or not as as the stars try to get a little bit of a breather before coming back in. Uh, we talked about Ron Harper. Ron Harper's in the game. Um, you know, that, that 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 could prove to be big or it may not be. Um I, we'll 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 find out here together. Um if you're not watching uh, if you're in in Central Florida, you can watch the game on Fox Sports Florida. If you're watching a replay of this, you're outside Central Florida. You can find the game on you on YouTube. Um, it is in there in full. Um, just search for the 1995 Magic Bulls Eastern Conference Playoffs Game One, or you can go to OrlandoMagicDaily.com. We have it uh, in the video vault. Just go on the top, search for the video vault, um, and click on the 1985 Playoffs. When you get there, to find all the YouTube clips, I put them all in one spot. 
for you as well. Um, yeah. um, this is this Jack game. Was, was a makeup call. Back then. Yeah. Yeah. So but, this. Uh, yeah. Tree Rollins was having a rough go against Bill Wennington. That's why Bill Wennington scores 14 points <laughs> in this game. Because Tree Rollins plays six minutes. Yeah. The. The, Ron the, Harper plays three minutes, and you're seeing his three minutes right now in this game. I have, I have to say, like I, I remember the Sentinel doing. I, I think it was the '96 season. The Sentinel did the kind of three-headed monster animation with Wennington, Purdue, and Longley. Uh, you know, I have to say, and and I hope the Last Dance gets to this. Those three bigs kind of they really hold their own. They're they're holding their own against Shaq. I know Shaq still has a big game. He still has 26 points, but every time Shaq touches the ball, it, it's there are two guys around in number one, but also it definitely looks like Shaq is uncomfortable out there and they're taking advantage of young Shaq defensively a lot. Luke Longley in particular is underrated uh, physically when it comes to how he defends Shaq. Again, Shaq's going to get his numbers uh, in this series, but Shaq has to work for it. And you're right, Phil. Yeah, he's Shaq's trying to figure it out here in this game one. But I mean, what, what do you guys, what do you guys, uh, Zach and Aaron, what are you guys seeing from how the how the Bulls are defending Shaq in this game? Um, I mean, yeah, they're just trying to make Shaq as uncomfortable as possible by not keeping one person on him, you know, too long. And um, somebody during the playoffs last year, when when the Magic played. Toronto asked Steve Clifford about, you know, how he defends or plans to defend Kawhi Leonard. And, you know, he mentioned his time in LA when he coached Kobe Bryant and he mentioned his time, you know, coaching Tracy McGrady. And, and he talked about how, you know, with true NBA superstars, the best way to defend them is to just try to disguise what you're doing and switch it up. Don't just go into a game and say, we're going to stick person A, person B, or we're going to double team them, you know, switch it up. You, you play solo, you play double, you delay the double, the, the help, you every possession, you, you try to switch it up. And that's what the Bulls look like they're doing. I've seen multiple times Pippen, you know, come in with the double late, and then sometimes Shaq waits for the double and it doesn't come. And, and you, know, so, you know, so they're just trying to make him un, as uncomfortable, like you guys have already mentioned, as possible. And if he's going to go up for a dunk of already in the second half team, they're, they're going to come down and, and try to keep him on, on the ground. This is the most amount of uh, hustle plays Dennis Scott makes in a game since probably 1991. <laughs> it's probably the, the trimmest Dennis Scott's been since 1991. That's not saying much. No, I mean, you would remember the last Magic Rewind game they were showing was the 92 game against the Heat. Uh, even then, like Dennis has put on a little bit of weight because he's coming off that really bad knee injury from the season before. And unfortunately, he that's one of the reasons why his career isn't very long is because he, he has the, the weight issues. Here, he's, he's still kind of okay. Um, but 96, you really notice it. But because he breaks the three-point record with the short with the, with the three-point makes because of the short three-point line, you don't really notice it. But um, yeah. Fitness wasn't Dennis's strong point. No, no, it was not. But Dennis, you know, it, it, Dennis, Dennis Scott deserves our appreciation. Um, I think one of the all-time fan favorite players uh, in, in in Magic history. Um, for without without doubt. Um, I think, I think, I think people still appreciate Dennis. I I know he lives in Atlanta and does the NBA TV stuff. But I know anytime he's in Orlando, everyone everyone definitely loves him for that. Um, and loves him loves him in his time in Orlando. Um. And like we said earlier, like we said earlier in, in this in this live stream, 
really revolutionized a lot of basketball with the way that he used the three-point line, convincing Georgia Tech to let him shoot threes and coming to this Orlando team and really dominating from the three-point line. Obviously, they moved the three-point line in a foot the next season for some reason, and Dennis Scott just eats it up. Um, he has a, the, the record game against Atlanta, record that's since been broken, um, but but he he eats up. Damn Splash Brothers. He first broken by Kobe. What wasn't wasn't the Splash Brothers? But yes, yeah. they, they they didn't help. They didn't help matters. Um, they they've kind of further buried Dennis Scott in history, um, leaving only Scott Skiles to hold a, hold a record in in, in the Magic's name. Um, 3D's Magic career turns out very differently, probably if he doesn't have that uh, children's summer camp incident. <laughs> And people can Google that. We're so. we're we're gonna we're gonna be positive here. We've already referenced the referenced Anthony Bowie enough. Um, we haven't talked about Goose Givens. He's not on the call in this game, but um, uh, but but yeah yeah we, we don't we don't need to get too deep into that. I don't think. Um, no, just throwing it out there. Yeah. We're good. Um, but what I find interesting watching this game is both Jordan and Pippen are really struggling. Um. You know, obviously there's gravity about them when they have the ball. The ma- I mean, the Magic's defense is geared to stop them, but they are both struggling mightily at this point in the game, and it's still close. Um, you know, Chicago, I think, entered this series as the favorite because they had Jordan, because they had Pippen. Uh, we know, you know, you always know those two are coming. Um, if, if you're, I mean, if you're sitting there watching this game for the first time and Jordan and Pippen are struggling the way that they're struggling, what do you what do you take away from from you know the first three and a half quarters of the game as as, as we're sitting here coming coming close to the end? Um, Zach or Aaron, what do what do, what do you think? Go ahead, Zach. Yeah, I think the it's take away the fact that they're the scheme that they're running, which we've talked about a, a good amount of how much they've been switching is has really helped because of their excuse me because of the versatility that they have um, out on the wing. They can throw different guys at Michael Jordan and at Scottie Pippen to kind of disrupt them and give them different looks like Aaron was talking about. Uh, Steve Clifford, you know, had mentioned doing that last year with Kawhi Leonard and, and how we've seen the Bulls doing that with Shaq. I think that the throwing those different looks has, has slowed him down. And, I mean, also it can't be overstated that, you know, guys have bad shooting nights too. And, and Not I Jordan. Think that, 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 definitely, uh, that definitely helps. I mean, we saw the graphic that uh, this was – Jordan's second worst uh, shooting game in, in his playoff career up to this point. Yeah, it's it, Michael's going to make a few more shots here in this fourth quarter, but uh, yeah, it's it get, it's pretty ugly for him. Um, well, I guess if I mean the one thing is it's a very very close game with both of them still shooting, so that's why I mean the Bulls still feeling pretty good after this game one, and that's why the Magic end up losing game two at home as well along with Jordan not doing the jersey switch from 45 to 23. But, I mean, both of them, both Pippen and Jordan, shoot terribly. And they almost win this game one. And so, you know, from a, if you're a Bulls fan or if you're the Bulls coaching staff or player, you're not feeling too bad after, you know, what happens in game one because you know that it's highly unlikely that both Jordan and Pippen are going to struggle this mightily uh, the next game. And so – I mean, again, it's a tie game, seventy-eight, seventy-eight, with six thirty to go in regulation, and and it's, you know, Jordan's about to get going here a little bit, I think. But I mean, the Magic—you got to credit their defense again. The Magic aren't performing well offensively at all by their standards. I mean, they've got 
You know, they're throwing Nick Anderson, Anthony Bowie, Donald Royal, maybe a little bit of Penny, a little bit of 3D, a little bit of Horace, pretty much anybody at Michael Jordan, anybody that's not Shaq, basically, they were throwing at him. Uh, we, we are at 32, now 33 total turnovers in this game midway through the through the fourth quarter. Chicago with 18. This is... This is a, this is a sloppy game, but this is a. Th- I mean, this this feels very much like a heavyweight fight. Like these two teams know this is going to be a battle from the very beginning, and it is. It is, you know, they they're 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 not maybe not coming out guns a blazing, but they are they are putting some body shots on each other just to see if there's weaknesses in in the defense to to start this series off. And and you know, obviously, we know how this series turns out. It's a six game series. The Magic win four two, and it is as close as a six game series can be. I feel like. I mean. The two teams split the first four games. They beat, both get one on their home court. Orlando wins game five. And then, you know, spoiler alert, Orlando goes on. I think it was a 12-0 run to end game six to win the series. So this is very much the beginnings of a long fight between these two teams. And, you know, I think I think what's what's frankly a little upsetting, you know, with, with Shaq leaving after the 96 season and with the injuries the Magic had in that series against the Bulls in the 96 season, I think it was what, game by game four, Nick Anderson's out, Horace Grant's out, Brian Shaw's out. And you know if you're in an elimination game and three rotation players are out, they're really hurt. Um, we didn't get to see this rivalry really blossom. I mean, you go back and look at like the last dance and, and how the Bulls had to work to overcome uh, to overcome uh, uh, the, the Pistons. I mean, the Bulls very much could have been that team for the Magic or the Magic and Bulls could have been, you know, kind of the... The Lakers, Kings, or you know, I don't know. I'm not going to go this far, but like the Celtics, Lakers of that era, if Shaq had stayed in Orlando. Yeah, and again, it's it's about health. I mean, I mean, you mentioned it, but I mean, Horace Grant gets knocked out of Game One, like early in Game One in the '96 series, and he, that's it. He's out the rest of the series. His arms in a sling. He's out, and the Magic have to depend on like John Concat. Like, come on, man, against Dennis Rodman. Like, forget about it. It's you know. And then Dennis Scott, when you play him at the four, it's like he's not going to fare well against Dennis Rodman. So um, it's, it, it is a what-could-have-been situation had Shaq stayed. And obviously, you know, Penny's injuries come quickly after that. And some of that is because he has to take on a much larger load without Shaq. And so, again, it's, it's, it's a very unfortunate and depressing and sad what-if when it comes to that. And there's a number of factors. Oh, it looks like uh, I lost Adam a little bit. Aaron, um, did I lose everybody? I think I might have lost him. Going into this series, this Magic team deserved to beat this Bulls team in '95. So, something that I that I wonder, you know, Phil, you were touching on the fact that this series won six, and then in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Pacers, that series won seven. Does does the longevity and the length of those two series you think have any impact on how the Magic performed in the finals against the Rockets? Do you think that some fatigue might have been setting in? I, I think, I mean, it's definitely possible there could have been some mental fatigue just because this Magic team had not been been through it before. And following the game, Jurassic Park is coming on NBC! Um, but, uh, um, but no, I, I do think I do think um, I do think some mental fatigue um, came into play a little bit. Um, you know, I, I think if the Rockets had lost Game One, you know, 
the way, I mean, the, the Rockets had a long journey too. They had to go five games against Utah in the first round. They had to come back from 3-1 against Phoenix in the second round. They went to six games against San Antonio where the road team won every game until game six when Houston clinched it on their home floor. Houston, I mean, Rudy Tomjanovic, the heart, the heart of a champion quote, you know, it feels like mumbo jumbo, but I think there is something to it. The Rockets had the institutional knowledge. They had the experience. They, they kind of had the calm about them to get through all those ups and downs and, and, and the resolve to, to kind of keep, you know, beating back all the, you know, everything else. I don't know if this Magic team had it. I, I, I do think that youth and immaturity did play a role ultimately in the 95 finals where, you know, if, if the Magic had lost on a regular buzzer beater and it wasn't the circumstance that they lost that game, game one, do the Magic beat Houston in that series? I don't know. Um, that, that is an interesting thought experiment. Um, but I do think they get a game in that series. I do think it's closer. Um, you know, I, I think a little bit about like the 09 Magic too in that sense. Like, I think when the, when the Magic the Magic were able to kind of beat back everyone and they got to the finals and their eyes got really big. They were in Los Angeles. The, the finals media crush was there. I think even they would admit that that they're, that 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 moment was a little bit big for them. And, and I think a little bit of that happened for the Magic uh, in that in that finals finals round in that in the finals where there's a little bit of mental fatigue. The moment got a little big for them. The stakes were just so high, and, and I think the pressure crumpled them a little bit. Um, Aaron, I'm, I'm curious what, what you think. Yeah, I mean, I think Zach is, is onto something there. That, that in this year, just so emotional because I, I think you're already coming down from a high of, of being the Bulls, but, you know, it is clear, that, you know, this wasn't the Bulls that people had come to know and were used to. I mean, comes back, and obviously he's got so much gravity. You've got to make – Jordan and that, that, you know, that affects team dynamics and Scotty and, and who coach and everything. And so the magic get by them. And, and then they also compound that with the seven game series of Indiana and then compound that with, with the way that the magic finished game one at home. And it was, it really did feel like it was over. Um, I'm a big believer that if they close, you know, game one out at home, it's a completely different series and you know that's okay it's okay sometimes to say you know houston was the champion they had the experience they had the veterans they had the team and five they had guys like cassell and ori playing way above their heads and just playing unbelievable and that, that's okay um i just i think i think zach's really onto something i think that i don't know if they were like physically fatigued but emotionally i know that indiana series was was just draining plus there was some bad blood i mean there really was some bad blood so mark jackson and dennis scott you know talking back and forth um it was a physical series and you know that that's a lot that's just part of being a young team and navigating your way through the playoffs it's, uh, game one is it, it, it's it's a backbreaker like i mean if you look at Game, you know, the I don't think the previous series really has much to do with game one. There's there's a lot of youth is an issue here. Like I think at, right after the game seven win over Indiana, I think like Shaq and Dennis Scott spend a day like recording a rap album, and then um, the Magic are 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 blowing out Houston in game one, and just shots start 
not falling. I mean, they the magic choke game one they do because I mean, look, well, there's there's a couple of issues here. So Nick shouldn't have even been at the free throw line those first two free throws. It should have been Brian Shaw. Go <laughs> to the tape. I know the tape is there. The tape is there. Nick shouldn't have. Nick should not have been the guy at the free throw line. But I mean, just the way it goes, he he misses two free throws, gets his own rebound, misses two more free throws. Kenny Smith still has to pull out just an, an unbelievable three from his rear end, where Penny got his arm covering Kenny Smith's line of sight to the rim. Kenny Smith can't see the the rim when he's shooting that three. The game goes to overtime. The Magic. You know, they don't, they lose on a buzzer beating tip by Hakeem in overtime. It, it's just a backbreaker. Now, again, after game one, Tom Janovich out coaches Brian Hill the rest of the series, I think. But, I mean, when you have a team that's that young, that doesn't know any better, that that confidence got them there to the finals, then doubt finally sets in after that game one. And it's, it's tough. I mean, yeah, they dealt with a little bit of adversity after losing you know, game two in the first round of Boston and then after losing game two to the Bulls in this series. But, I mean, they, they got through it against they, against the Pacers. They they play ahead. I mean, and, and like this is, I think, a big difference between the 95 Magic and the 09 Magic for whatever it's worth. The 09 Magic trailed in every series except the conference finals. This 95 Magic team never trails in any series until that NBA finals. So their road to the playoffs is, you know, you hear Clifford talk about this all the time. You know, you play ahead in the first quarter, you have a better chance of winning than at any point. Like, you like, the first quarters matter. This Magic team is never chasing. They're, they're always the ones being chased. They're always the one fending people off. And, and it is a different mentality, I feel like, when you get into a playoff series, knowing you need this game to stay alive. You need to win this to, to keep your playoff hopes alive, to keep control over the series, to, to have that little bit of cushion so you can breathe easy. Um, the 09 Magic never had that. They all they had to play out of their minds to to really hold on to things. And you know, even in the conference finals, LeBron was always there. I mean, they, the, the other team had the best player, so you always had to be cognizant of him. I mean, I think you can argue in this series that Shaq was the better player at the time than Michael Jordan. That Shaq was the best player in the series at the time because Jordan was still kind of working himself back. This Magic team was never chasing. They were always in the lead, um, and, and so. You know, maybe they didn't know how to reach down into that 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 kind of desperate energy that you need to succeed. Whereas, like Houston, they spent this entire postseason, this entire season after acquiring Clyde Drexler, playing like madmen to get back into the finals and get back to the championship. They're down three one, and they came back, so they had that confidence that they could play from behind and end in the championship will to play from ahead. That this Magic team just hadn't developed or hadn't experienced yet. Also, in Game Two of '09, Paul Gasol gets. Gets uh, away with a goaltend on the Courtney Lee shot at the end, but we'll we'll, we'll if if, if we're gonna so if, how BS is that Hor is that foul on Horace on that block? That was that was that, was, that was not a good call. Penny just hit three free throws, uh, and then Wennington gets two free throws. Magic are up two with about three minutes left. It's 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 getting into gut check. Yeah, we are we are we are getting close to the moment. Um, Dennis Scott pull up jumper, man. Oh man, that that's a bad shot, but he made it. I mean, we're, we're, we're getting close to the moment where, where we should just kind of go straight to play-by-play. We're three minutes left in the game. Yeah, um, let's do it. I, I always find when I'm watching these games, um, you know, watching games back that, that I've already seen, and, and I know there's like a big moment coming, like, like 
thinking to myself, is, is this the moment? Is this when it happens? Like I, I remember watching the replay of the Magic's opening night win over the Cavs and the Markel Fultz dunk is about to happen. And, I, and I'm just like, is this, is this where the Markel Fultz dunk happens? I want to make sure I'm like in my seat to watch it. Um, I've watched some, some, some classic games now since the hiatus began. And it's, it's actually, I find it a lot of fun to watch these games back, even, even when you know what's going to happen. Um, and, and kind of catch these moments. This, this literally could have been the Bill Winnington game. It really could have been. <laughs> but it wasn't. Got- it's the Nick Anderson game, and it always will be. Jordan wearing four, 45 is always going to be weird. Jeez, Jordan. God, this 3D ISO is terrible. He bricks this over a double team. Like, terrible shot selection from ISO Dennis Scott. And Jordan just ties the game. Jordan, two minutes left in the game. The Magic and the Bulls tied at 86. Um Jordan, I, I, I really have enjoyed, I've watched some, some classic Jordan games over the last few days as Penny hits the turnaround fadeaway. Um, Jordan, there's, there's just always this energy around Jordan. It's, it's incredible to watch. Um, you know, Bulls now have the ball, 142 to play, 88-86 Orlando. Um, it's, all, it's a heavy diet of Jordan right now. That's, that's for sure. How are you supposed to guard Penny taking that post-up fadeaway? Uh, you could unless, unless you were Scotty Pippen. That's that's why they had to put Scotty on him. Why basically. why why didn't they start Scotty on him? Like you're, you're gonna have you're gonna have MJ on Anderson. Let's put 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 BJ on Dennis Scott. Dennis Scott's not moving around. He's not doing anything to hurt you. I mean, I, I was, there's there's that no chill from the from the brought, from the game ops. <laughs> hey, Jurassic Park's coming up, guys. Jurassic Park's up next. Oh, MJ missed a free throw. I forgot about that. Um, if, if I were Skip Bayless, I'd be, I'd be saying how MJ is a choke artist right now. And, uh, clearly Magic Johnson's still the best player of all time. God, listen to that crowd. I, I, I love how they, how it was balloon. It was balloons and not the uh, thunderstick. Yeah. And you had to beg for a balloon back then. You weren't just handed a. You had, to, you had to fight for those balloons. I remember fighting. I remember fighting people for the for for balloons, and I didn't even sit behind the basket. Jordan with the and uh, one in transition, bad bad shot by Orlando there. Penny is, was unlucky. He 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 made that layup all the time. He just barely missed it. And yeah, it's impressive and one by MJ. And, those weightless. There's there's Pippen. There's off. Pippen to Jordan. Any any and anyone else nervous that Jordan's going to pull this one out? <laughs> Everybody in the building was at this point. Camera's shaking. That's the thing. MJ and Pippen are shooting terribly, just horrendously in this game. And then it's like, oh, here you go. It's it's a close game. And if M- and MJ could easily catch fire at any moment. The the Bulls lead 89-88 with 111 to go as Orlando calls a timeout. They'll get the ball. Um and try and try and take the lead back here. Um who knows who knows what will happen what will happen but next. Um, th- this is the type of issues I had with Brian Hill late in games, and it'll show up a lot in the NBA finals, but like those two possessions where it's Dennis Scott dribbling for about 10 seconds and then pulling up, it works for the first shot, but the second one is just, it's awful. Both, both are terrible shots. Run a play or at least give it to Penny so he can decide what to do with it. Don't let 3D go ISO. I mean, how, how, I mean, again, maybe this is more modern sensibilities, how are you not running a penny shack pick and roll right here? Like just just heavy diet of penny shack pick and rolls every single time. 
who is stopping I mean, that? Even I even run even run like a penny horse grand pick and roll with Shaq coming across the lane to set to, to post up deep position. Like Yeah, you're you're getting to that point in the game now where <laughs> Brian Hill just was afraid to give Shaq the ball because he knew he was gonna get hacked and have to make free throws. That's that's just the one negative. So uh, you're right though. You still have Horace out there. You could have posted up Nick Anderson to be a, like a distraction where somebody could open up on the weak side. Like you got options here. I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but you know, again, I was more basketball conscious during the 2009 run than during this run. I always felt like with Dwight Howard, at least, I'd rather lose on Dwight Howard making free throw than making or missing free throws than him not touching the ball late in games or not being involved in the play late in games because you're so afraid of free throws. I don't know how you guys feel philosophically about that. Yeah, um, I, yeah, you got it. You go, Zach. You go. Yeah, no, I, I think that with how much, you know, how much he commanded from the other team to, you know, how much focus he needed, you know, he, your offense needed that because he, he, the 2019 didn't have a guy like a Penny or even a Nick Anderson who could go in and really create their own shot and score. Well, Hedo and Spurts. Hedo and Spurts could, sure. But you don't have that guy who's really going to go and break down somebody one on one consistently, yeah. like a penny could have. Like I think that's the biggest thing that this team had that the '09 team didn't have was those guys who could play that one on one ball more and, and maybe get you a basket late in the game where you're not having to rely on rookie and Courtney Lee to miss two late layups, um, one of which was clear, clearly goaltended, which we touched on. That's not a not something we need to that's, talk that's about. That's science. Science, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, at that point, like, you still have to you have to find a way to get the ball to your best player. Like, you, I think you have to, to trust that Dwight's either going to, you know, get fouled and make the free throws or he's going to make the right pass out. And you, you have to live with it. You know, the Cavs aren't taking the ball out of LeBron's hands that year. The Lakers aren't taking it out of, out of Kobe's hands. I mean, if they do, they can go to Powell. You know the Magic didn't have that luxury. Uh, Aaron, real real quick, you know, do you have do you have to get Shaq involved late in this game? Yeah, I mean, just because you want to see how they're going to play it, just because you go to him doesn't mean he needs to finish the possession. You go to him, and then the floor spaces, and you just have to trust him to make the right play, and you know, to give it up to somebody else, or you know, if he's got the advantage to go, but. Um, you know, you, you can't play four and five, you know, you have to play to your best player, like Zach said, and then uh, you know, trust them to not necessarily get their own, but, you know, just read, read the play and get it to, to whoever needs to make the play. Yeah. So the magic come out of that timeout, the bulls double penny immediately and, and they get the ball to Nick Anderson. He's doubled, has to call a timeout. So the magic, again, they run that pick and roll with penny and Shaq penny with the, with the floating, with the trying to reverse layup, can't get it. And Jordan has to foul Shaq. So, Hey, we, we we called that play right. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, again, it, it's like you know, you have to at some point you have to have trust in your best player, even if he's young, right? And yes, the odds are that they're just going to wrap Shaq up right when he touches it. But I think that maybe it's not something you go to every possession, but you have to try. You have to figure out, like like Aaron was saying, you have to see what they're going to do and how they're going to handle that so you can know for later in this game and even later you know later in the series because odds are you're gonna be playing more close games plus 
Also, Shaq's also 11 of 15 from the line in this game. So Shaq was making them this game. And he's about to drill the second one as well. So we have 12 of 16 from the line in this game. Shaq always used to say when he had to make them in crunch time, he did. And for the most part, he, he wasn't lying. Magic up one with 45 seconds to play. The Bulls with the ball now, and they run that alley-oop play that makes Stan Van Gundy very, very jealous. Uh, Tony Kukoc to Scottie Pippen to retake the lead. <laughs> Kukoc doesn't touch the ball nearly enough in this game. No. I think he's still mentally broken from the Dream Team. So Orlando with 30 seconds left trying to tie, the, trying to take the lead back. They, they give it to Nick Anderson here on the wing, and they're going to run some offense. Scott at the top of the key trying to get past Kukoc, tries to squeeze it into a tough lane to Hardaway cutting across, and Chicago steals it. So it looks like this game is over. The Magic are going to lose game one with 18 seconds left. It's been it's been fun, guys. I mean, I I mean, we're gonna stick here to the commercial because I personally want to see Jurassic Park after after the game ends. Um, tough loss for the Orlando Magic, Sports, right? Fox Sports Florida missed a great opportunity here, not showing Jurassic Park afterwards. So. Uh, I mean, Jurassic Park's right, ratings but... <laughs> gold. Ratings gold. Again, uh, it's a weird situation here where. Dennis Scott ends up with the ball at the top of the key with just nowhere to go. He can't dribble out of that defense. Like what? What are you? What are you doing? Don't give it. I mean, you can't give it to three D unless he's rarely cut into the hole or unless he's open. I'm, like you can't expect him to dribble out. I'm most surprised at the. I mean, it, it clearly looks like they're trying to get Shaq established in the post or Penny cutting across the lane to get him into the post. With I think B J Armstrong was in. Um, but I'm surprised they gave the ball to Nick Anderson to kind of operate the offense. I mean, if anything, I, you got I mean, Penny's got to be the Nick one was, directing traffic. Nick was trying to post up MJ on that play, but MJ just was not giving him any ground, and that's when it just all fell apart. Yeah, yeah he, he, he had no opportunity to get the entry pass into Shaq either, who had position, and then that could have opened something up. But it, it's like something that we've talked about, I think, a lot with the current day magic is you know when their first action or their first option goes away they don't have they're not good at at finding that second option they're not good at running that secondary action which i think we're seeing a little bit here late in this game yeah um i mean and 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 i mean this is something that i've come across as i've watched more classic games during the during the season hiatus Offenses are, I mean, offenses I think are generally a lot more sophisticated now than they were. I mean, I think I think Adam and I talked about this before you guys joined. It feels like so much of the offenses in this time are geared toward creating post-ups or creating ISOs. And that's how they create movement. They force you to double team. That's how they kick out. It's not about dribble penetration. It's about, you know, one-on-one, let your best player create either a shot for himself, uh, a miss that one of your guys can get, or force a double team. And that's that's really, I think, how a lot of offenses are geared. And nowadays, I think there's, I mean, and this, again, this is not to say that this now is better than back then or back then is better than now. It's just different. And I feel like, I feel like offenses today don't, they believe you can get stars going without having them create everything for themselves. Um, and, and, I, and again, I think that's kind of my takeaway from a lot of this. And honestly, I think that's what made the Bulls so good in their time is the triangle and the way they ran it wasn't about getting a single guy going. It was about a lot more ball movement and player movement, uh, you know, working out of the low post a lot more. And Brian Hill figures it out after game two of the series that it's probably a better idea of spacing shooting-wise to start Dennis Scott instead of Donald Royal at the three. Um, okay, we're getting to this uh, fun sequence here about to come out of the 
out of the commercial break, but Wait, can I just point out how perfectly shot this this sequence is by the <laughs> NBA and NBC crew? Just multiple camera angles get used. The perfect amount of zoom is involved. It's one of the best, I think, just shot plays live in the moment. And there's Daryl Armstrong in a not so colorful the suit. Tan, the That's tan the suit that he would wear the rest of the playoffs. All right, here we go. Canary, it wasn't the canary yellow suit. No. This one, uh, he's matching with Brian Hill. Oh, Nick, don't reach. I'm so glad he doesn't get called for a foul here. <laughs> let's, let's just put it that way. There's a situation where Nick gets called for a reach in. It's unbelievable. Um, just so you all know, Nick Anderson stole the ball. Nick Anderson stole the ball. He stole the ball from Michael Jordan. Penny bounces it. Horace, 6.2 seconds left. Nick Anderson stole the ball from Michael Jordan. I, I am a little bit disappointed we didn't get the David Steele call of that. Yeah, I am. I'm. I. I, I think I wish the Magic would have dubbed it. Even, even when, even, and I love the call, but it's tough because uh, the the audio quality. They try their best, but the radio quality wasn't that great back then when they were recording it. Unfortunately, so. Um, um, this will work. This NBA and NBC call always gives me just goosebumps. Before and before we dive, angle beautiful. Before we get too far away from it, um, a the Nick Anderson seal fantastic. Not an easy dunk by Horace Grant here with Tony Kukoc no. flying by. Like give no. Horace all the credit for the finish. Also there. great, also great play by Penny to to not just go up with it. Like I think a lot of superstars would. Beautiful bounce pass. Very tough to can be that controlled. I like how Jim Gray gives the fist pump behind the basket <laughs> as Horace is dunking. Um, but Hor- you're right. There's a lot of guys with less composure that flub that Horace attempt. Either they bobble the ball out of bounds or they, they lose the ball going up. And Horace instead, just with zero concern, full focus, just hammers that home. And it's, it's, it's beautiful. Um, I want to give a shout out to the to the sign guy there that has the Orlando Orlando's not a problem sign. I think he had another one that said that that Michael is not a good teammate earlier in the game. Um, Magic fans show up for this game, obviously. Um, they've shown they've shown up before. Um, sign guy, whoever you are, we 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 see we see you twenty five years later. It's a good era for signs. That that's for sure. Yeah. Um, now, right. now, this we, game uh, is not over. <laughs> this game is, is not over. I, I, I no. mean, and Magic are up two, Bulls ball six points. Up one. They're up one. Magic up one, 92-91. And Jordan gets a pretty good shot off here. Oh, right. Do the oh, Magic use their illegal defense here? I should get mm-hmm. Oh, wait, he doesn't get a good shot off on this one. The inbounder. Nope, no delay of game warning. Donald Royal, man. Donald Royal's best mo- moment as a Magic player, right there. <laughs> he 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 was sneaking up behind MJ. MJ heard footsteps, throws the ball just out of Scotty's reach, and it goes out of bounds. Magic ball. Magic are about to win. So Jordan Jordan with two turnovers in the final fi- final fifteen seconds of this game. Um, the guys at choke artist should have stayed in baseball, right? <laughs> Yeah, he, he wasn't that good at basketball. Donald, man, Donald Royal, MJ's going to shoot from the free throw line. He's going to shoot, and then he just feels Donald Royal's presence like he's going to get blocked, and he gives it up to Scotty or tries to give up to Scotty out of bounds. Again, Donald Royal's best, best moment as a Magic player. 
And that and Donald Royal is a magic legend. Um, you know, we talked about guys that are specifically magic legends and not joke magic legends like I sometimes say on Twitter. Donald Royal is a magic legend. Um, we, we, need, we need Donald Royal to come back home. They need to get Donald Royal on the broadcast one day uh, or something. Um, Eight-tenths of a second left. It's still not over, technically. No, it's not. And, 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 and I was wrong with the sequencing. Michael actually gets a pretty good shot off here to nearly tie the game. Uh, Eight-tenths of a second left. Orlando's up 94-91 uh, now. They're up three um, in game one of the 1995 Eastern Conference semifinals. Jordan has turned the ball so, over twice in the last 15 so, seconds. And the Magic just have to hold on and contest the shot here. So Penny's made both his free throws, right? So the Magic are up 94-91.8, you already said. Should Penny have missed the second free throw on purpose to make possibly make time run out, or did the Bulls get the timeout off with like .3 left? Um, I don't think it matters at this point. <laughs> well, hey, point .8, you can get a shot. Now he they can. don't. He can, and I, I had my sequencing wrong. I think Jordan has a, has a near-game winner in another game. I'm, I get my Jordan game. Jordan's had so many good games against Orlando, I get him confused. But the Orlando Magic have defeated the Chicago Bulls 94-91. Nick Anderson has once again successfully stolen the ball from Michael Jordan. And we've all enjoyed, I hope everyone's enjoyed, what is, you know, we talked about this earlier what is possibly the best game in Magic history? Certainly the most, the, one of the most memorable moments in Magic history. Um, final thoughts. Let's go around the table. Um, Zach, final thoughts. Yeah, I, I think that that was uh, obviously a great win to, to go back and get to watch again. Um, and, you know, we see, I think we, we get a little bit of, of what this team could have really been had everyone stayed healthy. And had Shaq stayed, because um, you know it's, it's like you guys have touched on before. You know, this could have been the next big rivalry, not only in the Eastern Conference, but uh, but in the in the NBA as a whole. So, and then you know you get Horace Grant coming in and making a huge play against his former team. And uh, sources can't confirm, but he might have uh, said they were straight bitches after the game. <laughs> I don't think he did. I don't. I don't think he did that till after Game Six, and I think he regretted it afterward. He might have told Phil Jackson that. But um, <laughs> one of my takeaways, real quick, is again, OG fat stuff is the best stuff. He was so big that he could simultaneously hug Shaq, Nick, and Penny at that final buzzer. Big stuff. Big stuff. Wingspan. I think uh, Wellman and Hammond would have actually considered that big stuff. Um, Aaron, uh, final thoughts before we sign off here. Yeah, I would be remiss if I was on here. I didn't share the story. So in 92, when the Magic had their first ever first overall pick, you know, at that point, I was such a huge college basketball fan. That's why I got into basketball. And, you know, I was just obsessed with with Duke. And so I literally, my parents will confirm this, cried like big tears when the Magic did not draft Christian Leitner. I was 10 (laughs) years old, right? So I had not watched a whole lot of LSU basketball and I had literally never heard of the human that was called Shaquille O'Neal. All I knew was that Christian Leitner just destroyed it at Duke, played on the dream team. And here was my favorite team that passed on him to draft, you know, Shaquille O'Neal. And obviously I became obsessed and it worked out. And um, I guess that's my one takeaway from this watching Scotty and Michael is thinking how interesting it would have been if the dream team the one college player they picked they picked late for 
check. And that was kind of questionable at the time. I mean, it was 50-50. How interesting, they didn't need him, but how interesting would the Dream Team have been with all of those personalities, Chuck, Magic, and Jordan and Bird, if you throw in Shaquille O'Neal as well um, to that team, I, I think the stories would have been even more incredible. So um, that, that's that's pretty cool to, to think about. But but this whole series, I mean, for, for me, again, I'll finish this. In middle school, this was just peak Magic fandom. Um, you know, there was nothing cooler in sixth or seventh grade than wearing an Orlando Magic jersey to school. And um, watching this with you guys just brought back uh, so many really good memories. So, yeah. Yeah, um, I was three when this game happened, so I don't remember it. I wasn't even in Florida yet, actually. Um, Aaron, don't don't feel so bad about being upset about something good happening to the Magic uh, in the 1993 uh, NBA draft lottery. Um, by we were all watching the draft lottery with at my at my house. I was five years old, or I was, I was four, going to be five in the summer, um, and I was crying because I didn't understand why my family were cheering when all the other teams' logos came up, because I didn't understand that the lottery meant, that, that those teams coming up meant the Magic were, gonna, were, were jumping everyone to get, in, to get the number one pick in the draft, and I didn't understand it at all. Um, and so I was crying, like, why, why aren't you cheering for the Magic? Why aren't you cheering for the Magic? Um, uh, obviously, so, so um, obviously a very happy day um, that, that I did not enjoy because I was too young and... and and silly to know otherwise. Um, I, I, my big takeaway, um, and, I, and we hinted at it, and obviously we're watching this from a 2020 perspective, but my big takeaway is just, you know, and I found this way every time I watch Shaq play the Bulls, especially, especially because of Michael Jordan. How mo- I feel like both the Bulls and the Magic were so far ahead of their time in, in how they played and, and how they wanted to attack teams. Um, they, they were really unique compared to most of the other teams in the league. You know, the Pacers, I think, were coming up with Reggie Miller a little bit, uh, trying to use a three-point line and, and use a guard in that way. Um, but, it, it, you know, yes, the offense is a little more compressed and, and they aren't using the three-point line, but I, I'm always amazed watching Jordan, especially, how modern his game looks and, and how you could really put him any at, at any time period and I think he would be successful. And even watching the Magic, how how much Shaq kind of spun the league forward. And, and, I, and I think, you know... Yes, we're watching this from a 2020 perspective, but we can see the hints of what the league is going to become, you know, even 10, 15, 20 years down the road in the way that these guys play. Um, I want to thank you all. Thank you guys for joining us for, for re-watching this game. Um, you know, this will be archived. I'm going to put this in the podcast. So no matter whether you're watching it today on April 28th, 2020, um, or watching it at some point in the future, um, hopefully this running commentary and, and something that we provided will will give some historical context or add some value to rewatching uh, one of the greatest games uh, in Magic history, uh, one of the greatest moments in Magic history, and a moment that, yes, we will probably be seeing occur on The Last Dance, so it is something that does ring true um, and, and, and play an important role in the story of the greatest player of all time and, and a player that obviously resonates well beyond um, his years. Um, uh, I want to give you guys a chance to, to promote your promote your stuff and, and tell everyone where you can find find you. So Zach, I'll, I'll start with you since 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 you were you were the last one in here. Sure. Yeah. Sorry for being late to the party. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can find me on Twitter at Zach Oliver NBA. Um, you're probably going to get a, a mix of some basketball, some golf, and food pictures and 
probably me complaining about how the state of Florida is handling things now. Um, but that's not here nor there. Um, and you can find my, my work over at Orlando Pinstripe Post. Aaron? Uh, yeah, same. Orlando Pinstripe Post. Um, at Aaron Goldstone on Twitter. Um, for the summer, I'll probably just be putting together you know, some scouting reports and draft draft profiles. I've been doing you know, every other week, and it's kind of crazy since we don't know when the lottery or the draft or the season or anything <laughs> be happening or coming back. So I'm kind of just like screaming into the void. But um, that's kind of what I enjoy, you know, is watching film and putting together a scouting report, and then the magic doing absolutely the complete 180 opposite of whatever I'm writing about. Um, so you know, I'll be putting myself through that misery again and, and, and writing about the draft throughout. Um, May and June and looking forward to uh, like everyone, you know, hopefully getting some, some basketball and just some sports in general and, and life as we know it in general back, um, you know, back again soon. Um, Adam, uh, tell everyone where they can find you and a little bit about the project that you've been doing, which, you know, we, we kind of stole a little bit here. Um, but, but um, uh, now nah, you didn't steal it. You're good, man. <laughs> <laughs> but you can find me on Twitter at Papa Giorgio MBO. Uh, if you can't spell all that, just start typing Papa G and I'll probably come up. Um, but, uh, you know, please subscribe, listen to uh, our Penny and Pop podcast, where right now we're running uh, a the series called Magical Movies, where we're going through old magical games, trying to pick games that uh, Fox Sports Florida aren't showing. So far, we've been doing pretty good on that. Uh, you know, the last one we did was the nine, during the 97-98 season where the Nick Anderson and the Magic get their revenge against the Shaquille O'Neal Lakers. So we'll be doing more of those until uh, hopefully real live uh, current NBA basketball comes back. But, uh, yeah, this has been fun, Phil. Yeah, um, and, and I'll, I'll go through my stuff uh, on the podcast, but you can find me at Philip R underscore MD and of course at Orlando Magic Daily. Um, I want to thank you all. Thank you guys all for joining us for this podcast. I hope you enjoyed rewatching the game. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. Um, as always, at least in this time when we're recording this, stay safe and healthy, guys, as, as things start to reopen. Hopefully we'll be talking 2020 Orlando Magic very, very soon. And yes, Jurassic Park is on next. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see you all again next time, guys. playoffs are right around the corner and locked on nba is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama every monday jackson gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league helping to break down the nba playoffs mark your calendars to listen to locked on nba every monday to be up to date locked on nba available on youtube and wherever you get podcasts part of the locked on podcast network your team every day As I hope some of you can tell, I, I am a big Jurassic Park nerd. Probably my favorite movie. I want to thank you all again for listening to this episode of Locked on Magic. We'll talk more about uh, about what could happen next in the 2020 season uh, with, the, with the NBA possibly coming to Disney to finish off the season. Um, uh, playing, saying Disney and playing the Jurassic Park music. Uh, Behind me uh, is, is definitely a, definitely definitely a, a mood, um, but I want to thank everyone again for listening to today's episode of Lockdown Magic. Hope you enjoyed rewatching Game One of the Magic series against the Chicago Bulls with us. Until next time, 
Uh, you can, of course, follow me on Twitter at philiprr_md. Follow the podcast on Twitter at LockedOnMagic. Subscribe wherever you download podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Himalaya, Google Play, Spotify, and all the fun places to download podcasts to your podcast-enabled listening device. Don't forget to check out the latest episode of Rejecting the Screen. They go ISO with Todd Kopacki. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to be able to ment- pronounce his name. Todd Kapostasi. Kapos- the director of the Rodman 30 for 30. Uh, of course, that's in the news a little bit with the uh, with the, the, the last dance uh, in progress as we go. Uh, I want to go watch Jurassic Park right now uh, because I, I love that movie. Um, but until next time, for Orlando Magic Daily and Locked on Magic, this has been Philip Rosenreich. I'll see you all again next time for another episode of Locked on Magic. You are Locked on Magic, your daily Orlando magic podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.